0: Want legendary service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered, with more than 40 branches in the New Orleans area. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC.
1: Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp.
2: From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Ashuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's
0: business New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti, welcome to Out to Lunch. In 1970, a couple of idealistic young kids started a music festival in what was then called Congo Square. Congo Square is now called Armstrong Park, and what started out as a money-losing venture with a cumbersome name, the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, is today better known as Jazz Fest, and is one of the longest-running and most successful outdoor music festivals in the world. When they founded the festival, Alison Miner and Quint Davis wanted to ensure that should the festival make any money it would benefit the community rather than themselves and so they structured it so the festival is owned by a not-profit organization which they call the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation the foundation's mission is to promote preserve perpetuate and encourage the music arts culture and heritage of communities in Louisiana through festivals programs and other cultural educational civic and economic activities Today, the person whose task it is to work every day and turn these lofty ideas into reality is the Foundation's Director of Programs, Marketing and Communication, Scott Ages. Scott, it's been uh, a few jazz fests since we caught up with you, and welcome back to Out to Lunch. So great to see you again. Thank you. (laughs) So much of the music that New Orleans is famous for comes out of one small neighborhood, Treme. When New Orleans was segregated, what was to become some of the most influential music in the world was being played in Treme at clubs like The Caledonia, the musical home of Fats Domino, and Professor Longhair. In 1950, with Treme booming, the Carver Theater opened on Orleans Avenue. The Carver was a state-of-the-art concert hall where African-American musicians enjoyed first-class amenities and African-American audiences enjoyed sitting wherever they wanted. Changing times changed the carver's fortune. It eventually fell into disuse and disrepair, and in 2005, Hurricane Katrina just finished it off. Or so we thought. Today, after an $8 million renovation, the Carver Theatre is back in business. And once again, it's a state-of-the-art music venue. The general manager of the new Carver Theatre is Chris Ritter. Chris, welcome down to lunch. Thank you very much, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> now Scott, Jazz Fest and the Foundation are in an interesting position. As the festival has gotten bigger, it's gotten more expensive to attend. Although the ticket price is still a good deal on paper relative to what you'd pay for a day's entertainment in other places, going for more than one day is now out of the range of affordability for many New Orleanians and their families, but ironically, the money the festival now makes allows the Foundation to fund a wide range of music programs in the community, including smaller local music festivals, a music school, and even literally giving money away as grants. It seems there are two distinct business models here. One is to use the festival as a funder for year-round operations. The other is to scale back and make the festival cheaper so more New Orleans can actually uh, attend the events. These two models seem to be at odds with each other. What is the foundation's philosophy on the function of the festival? I haven't heard anybody talk about scaling the festival back. Well, (laughs) well, I mean, I mean, (laughs) where'd you get that? No, I didn't, (laughs) you know, a lot of people say, you know, if we didn't have these giant acts, it could be the way it used to be before, and it was less expensive and and all of that, uh, but the fact that it's bigger and the fact that you have these big names is what's generating the money, right? At 75 or
3: $80, Jazz Fest is certainly a relative bargain, as you said, considering that there are 13 stages playing all day simultaneously when you could easily spend twice as much to go to a single concert at the arena or the sang or, or something like that. So we know that from a pure price standpoint, the festival is, is a relative bargain, now notwithstanding We do give out 8,500 free tickets to the festival through a program that we have called Community Outreach Tickets, where we give tickets to go to the festival for free to senior citizens, uh, other people who could not afford to go to the festival, which we distribute through social service organizations, so there's that. And, and by doing so, we're voluntarily giving up about $650,000 in potential revenue. So it's not really valid to, to suggest that, that we're motivated by Profit. Well no, it it was never
0: actually uh, set up that way. Uh, Right,
3: Um, and as you mentioned, we have all of these other programs, a free music school, a large grants program that gives out close to a million dollars a year, um, free festivals, free concerts, all of those things that the foundation does. So so obviously there's a lot there that, that you're getting for for the price of a Jazz Fest ticket.
0: Now, Chris, if there's one thing we know for sure, it's New Orleanians and tourists alike love to go out and hear music. So in the market research sense, opening a music venue in New Orleans would seem like a pretty smart business idea, but it's not as simple and stress-free as throwing open the theater doors, especially when you have an $8 million investment to recoup uh, uh, on day one. You've, you've run successful theaters in other cities around the country, are the challenges of getting people into the Carver the same as they are other places or is it different in New Orleans?
2: Um, it's it's a new market for me. I'm a Chicago
0: That's transplant. right. And you had a lot of success there too. You took yeah. a, another place that had been restored. And yep. uh, the one thing that people
2: say about you is that that was not only a cultural success but a financial success. Correct. Okay. Both. Um, so My wife was born here in New Orleans. So oh, I t- that's how people, people get back here. She tagged me, bagged me, brought me home. <laughs> and I... Uh, I remember you on the hood of the car. It was a real sight. Really. Right, right. <laughs> I, uh, I came across the Carver Theater. I was just struck by the incredible synergy of history and purpose and location, and, and they got all the all the amenities and you know it's, it truly is a state of the art place. <laughs> and it it just it, it to me it was just an irresistible opportunity to get involved previous management teams had really focused on just renting the facility as opposed to proactively booking entertainment and as a result it was dependent on the rental market which consisted of a lot of private events right. wedding receptions yeah. and corporate events but but there wasn't enough uh there wasn't enough marketing energy invested. There wasn't uh brand identity. So I really wanted to establish it as music venue. So starting in January we began uh, music programming in earnest. Oh, <laughs> now, how, now how big is, uh, how many does a seat? We can do up to a thousand standing. Um, we can do 900 seated. Oh, okay. Um, for a, a reception or private event, we can do 400 to 450 at banquet tables. Um, in addition to all those numbers, there's an upstairs space that used to be an empty banquet room that I converted to be a lounge. Oh, and okay. it's now affectionately known as the Carver Club. Oh, yeah. uh, serves, A lounge is a good idea here. Yeah, it, it serves two purposes. And it's very swank. We have a grand piano and leather furniture <laughs> and uh, purple velvet chairs and hardwood floors. Wait, Who is behind the Carver financially? Um, the has a single owner, uh, his name is Dr. Eugene Oppmann. He's an uh, optometrist, no pun intended with the last name. <laughs> um, prior to Katrina, the Carver had become a medical center and in the main auditorium, they'd actually framed out doctor's offices and dentist offices and all sorts of stuff. And in 1987, he started operating his eye clinic out of there and serving the residents of Tremont. Um, Katrina wiped out. He, right. he bought the building in 1990, and then Katrina wiped out the medical center, and he started uh, this uh, monstrous effort to <laughs> uh, restore the building to courage. its original point. Yeah, took took great courage, wow. took uh, I would like, great yeah, dedication. I get... But it's it's one owner, and you know, contrary, you know, a lot of time when there's renovation in New Orleans there's uh, uh kind of a, kind of a pushback against outside development money or commercial money or not being real New Orleans. But this guy has been on their corner since 1987, and he is completely committed to the city, to the neighborhood, to this project, and he's as authentic a New Orleanian as you could ask for, in spite of being from Long Island. Right, yeah, <laughs>
0: that's okay. You know what I would like? If you could get your eyes checked while listening to John Cleary or something. Yeah, there you go. That would be uh, go. really good. They,
2: or yeah. <laughs> your teeth done. Yeah, that would be perfect. Although the building is on the National Register of Historic Places and has been there since 1950, you know, we just started doing concerts in January, and in that sense, it's very much a startup business. And that has two challenges with it the uh, selling of tickets to consumers, obviously, but also the selling of the venue to the artists right. that you would have play there because. Artists have established relationships with other venues, such as the Tipitina's or House of Blues. Or whoever. And bring people in come out town.
3: And being around long enough for the booking agents to know that you're a viable option. Correct. Compared to a Tipitina's or a House of Blues or Correct. something like that. Or even the outside concert promoters yeah. who may be doing <laughs> shows. At whether it's a Champion Square or a right. Sanger or, or something like that. And to know that there's a thousand-seat venue right. that's available, that's newly renovated and uh, and in a convenient location. I mean, it takes wa- a, a little while right. for you to just get into everybody's consciousness.
0: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Rusciutti. I'm talking with Chris Ritter, general manager of the newly reopened Carver Theater in Treme, and Scott Ages from the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation, the folks who own Jazz Fest. Well, Scott, you mentioned uh, uh, the difference between Coachella and... You know Bonnaroo, those how do those operate? Are they for profit? Yes. It's so w- one of the
3: reasons that we are unique in both the, the, the festival world and in the nonprofit world is that we have this major internationally known music festival that is owned by a nonprofit whose sole purpose is to take the the, the proceeds from that event and use them for year-round programs and, and activities in the community. All of the other festivals, all the other major festivals are basically for-profit events. Now there are some exceptions to that. There are a a few, Smaller festivals uh, that have, well many festivals actually, have some sort of a nonprofit component or some sort of give back. For example, the Houston International Festival supports a music curriculum that they distribute for free in the school system in that city. The Waterfront Blues Festival in Portland, Oregon, supports a food bank in their community. So you bring three cans of non-perishable goods, you get into the festival for free. So is, oh great. So, and, and the guy that programs that festival, Peter Damon, comes to Jazz Fest every year. So. Um, So so there are different models out there. Many festivals have some sort of educational component, but really, I don't know of a single other festival in the world, except maybe now for the Newport Jazz and Folk festivals, which have since converted to a model which is similar to ours, and their prices are comparable to what ours are, but it's still a much smaller festival in terms of scale. Um, But to answer your question, we're, we're busy organizing a whole range of, of community development programs that, that we have. We have 14 and 15 programs that, that we organize each year that are, uh, we're active in the areas of economic development, education, and cultural enrichment. So as you mentioned earlier in the program, we have a free music school that serves something like 200 kids a week now, uh, which has doubled in size since we added a new program for beginners. So kids as young as age eight who have never ever touched an instrument or Studied music in their lives n- now have the opportunity to become first-time music learners, and we provide the instruments for them. We have this grants program that we referred to. We have economic development programs like we're we're about to launch our uh, 10th annual Sync Up Conference, which is an ender- entertainment industry development conference that we do during Jazz Fest. We also have uh, entrepreneur
0: support programs like the Catapult Fund, which we did that's this what year. I, I'm mm-hmm. so glad you mentioned. That's what I was going to ask about is the idea that you have. Um, that's kind of giving business skills to musicians and people in the music industry that's sort of the missing piece. Um, how does that go?
3: Um, well, in the case of the catapult fund, it went really really well this year it was it was It was really quite amazing. This was the second time we had done it. We had a pool of money that was kind of off the books, if you will. It was sitting in a certificate of deposit that was not part of our regular programmatic budget. And Scott, is
0: it like a business school?
3: Well, it's more like a business boot camp and accelerator program, but combined with the grant funding which makes wow. it a little bit different. So, um, w- so we put up $75,000, and Capital One Bank contributed 25000 to it. And so we put out a call for applications to people in the culinary arts, so people in the food industry, restaurateurs, chefs, caterers, food product manufacturers, people those types knives. of things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we, and so we put out a call for applications. We got about 95 people statewide who applied, of whom we selected 12. And what they got was the opportunity to, pr- to attend and 17 weekly classes in entrepreneurship, so accounting, marketing, social media, um, uh, risk and and finance and all all sorts of things, so 17 weeks of of business development classes, so it's like a boot camp in in that way. They also, during that time, got their Serve Safe certification, so they become certified as safe food handlers, and they wrote business plans, so they learned how to write a business plan. At the end of it all, they it, it, all 12 of the businesses that participate, it, participated each got a
0: cash grant of $6,000 in startup funds for their well, business one thing i'm thinking about here is chris do you do you connect to jazz fest in any way like you've got these musicians in town do you try to you know give them a you know may, maybe during that week give them a a,
2: a venue to oh, play in absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh, that's one of the great Parts about all these uh, artists coming together at the same. So you guys should know each Point, other, right? point in geography, yeah, it's yeah, ab- absolutely a fortuitous meeting. And I, <laughs> well, I wanted to. I'm um, hoping to get like a finder's fee, like a one or something for <laughs> <to Well>, this.
3: <laughs> but, but, so it's called a commission. Commission, <laughs> yeah. that's what it's called. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: um, <laughs> speaking of education and community enrichment, we have Carver Theater Productions LLC, which is the for-profit company that operates theater. We also have the Carver Foundation, which. Which is a 501c3 that we're getting ready to launch uh, on a larger scale than it's been in the past, which is an uh, organization dedicated to providing arts education and performance opportunities to the kids of Tremaine. Um, Doc, the the owner, he actually formed this not for profit back in 1989. Wow. B- when they had that medical center built out in the auditorium, yeah. the the original stage still existed behind it with like four rows of seats in front of it, and he wanted to use that space to to uh, give arts education to uh, the kids at Tremaine. So that's going to include music education. Um, theater uh, voice a lot of stage when I and should when
0: I Chris should I be thinking of you like uh in terms of competition with other venues, is it based kind of on size? Like if the Rolling Stones came, they're going to go to the Superdome.
2: There's no competition with the Carver Theater. I mean, we're really in a class. Really? All ourselves. right, all right. That is,
0: <laughs>
3: that is the correct answer. And, uh, they, <laughs> and um, when the Rolling Stones want their after party after the gig at the Superdome. Yeah, exactly. Right, that exactly. would be exactly. it. No,
2: I mean, I mean, there's there's a number of comparably sized venues, the Joy, the... Um, and the Civic yep. Tiptonis has the same right. kind of capacity, and when it comes to uh, booking artists, it's often a financial equation based on the number of seats available and how much you can charge. All for right, those now, seats. Uh, so. I, I should know this, but yeah. how does how does the um, band get paid is it a piece of the door or is it different each time the the scale goes it's 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 a huge scale <laughs> like it, we we have every type of contractual arrangement you can imagine we have musicians who rent our facility to just perform and keep the door. And we book artists, and the terms of those contracts can be anywhere from uh, 50 bucks to play upstairs in the Carver Club for half an hour or a uh, five figure guarantee to do a ma- major show down in See, I, the I auditorium. Go, I go hear bands that encourage yeah, drinking, so I figured
0: they got a piece of the bar yeah, or something. Um, we that do have a full bar.
3: Yeah. Well, there are clubs that. that in, in lieu of charging a cover, will pay the band uh, through a percentage of the bar rate. Oh, yes.
0: All right. That's like true. An,
3: if that's a typical arrangement that you'll see in, on Frenchman Street, for example. Yep. Let's see, I knew there was a driving force there. Yeah.
0: By the way, do either of you really play an instrument? I. Yeah, I have a band. You oh, do. wow. All right.
3: No. Oh, wait. Can I plug it? Sure. No. Go no. ahead. Um, Go no, ahead. No, I no, can't. Play. Are you, you a... need a gig? Uh, are you a gig? <laughs> <laughs> you need it. There's a gig? There's... A, this is We're great. are really good.
0: Are you, are are you right?
2: a guitarist? Uh, yes, I do play guitar. All playing.
0: right. And Chris,
3: you're going gonna...
2: to... I fiddle with guitar and play a little bit of piano, but I do not have a band. I, I had a band in junior high school.
0: Oh, there's no reason that um, can't make a that comeback. There's the, a... You
2: know, last time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, New Orleans is a brand that's known around the world. The single thing we're identified uh, with most, of course, is music. And music is not something that exists in itself like scenery. Uh, Music has to be made and and played. Uh, Chris and Scott, without people in your position, nobody other than musicians and their neighbors would get to hear New Orleans music. So on behalf of the entire world, thanks for everything you're doing to bring us New Orleans music. You're welcome. Yeah, I speak for the whole world. This <laughs> is really welcome. great. <laughs> and thank you today for taking the time it's, to join me in Out to Lunch. <laughs> it's nice to be appreciated. That salad was great. <laughs> okay. I, I was up all morning getting, getting that together. It's, um, my guests in Out to Lunch today have been Scott Ages, Director of Programs, Marketing and Communication at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation, and Chris Ritter, General Manager of the Carver Theater. You can find out more about Scott's and Chris's adventures in the music business by following the links on our websites. It's New NewOrleans.com and Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Matthew Ellefson. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold, streamed, or stolen. And at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. Hey, you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, www.no.org and it's itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and who wouldn't, uh, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out
1: to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp.
0: Want legendary service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with more than 40 branches in the New Orleans area. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC.